You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features part two of my conversation with Senior Director of Clinical Operations, Keith Barnett. The second half picks up right where we left off last week. Keith discusses how he came to decide on his doctoral program at Indiana University and how he's managed to navigate predominantly white corporate spaces while being acutely aware of how he might be perceived as a Black man. And lastly, Keith breaks down some misconceptions around COVID and the way vaccines actually work. So without further ado, please enjoy. So I'm, you know, I'm researching for about like six, seven months in you know, I'm like, well, should I just go bit, you know, should it be in more business? Should it be more in science, you know, in science? And I'm like, well, if I, if I got to go to science, then I have to start doing lab work and stuff like that. I got kids. I'm going to be away. You, you, you know, I'm just like, you know, Stephanie, she's not going to feel that, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, um, I need to find a happy medium that has like business and leadership, but also gives me that scientific background. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, enhances my, you know, my, my scientific acumen. And I'm researching uh, like uh, public health and I'm looking at different schools and it's just like, it's just not clicking for me. And then, you know, I, I came upon, you know, um, Indiana University's um, School of Public Health and they had this doctorate, you know, it's called doc- a doctor PH, so a doctorate of public health. And it just had the perfect, the balance that, that I wanted where it was just, it was entertaining because of the leadership aspect. It was really helping you to become a public health leader and how to navigate when there are certain issues, right? Because you have the science, but how do you articulate the science to someone who isn't a scientist? How do you deal with politicians? How do you understand legislation and things like that? And I'm like, this is exactly what I want because then also, you know, public health, you know, being in pharma, you have to have a pulse of what's going on in public health. But now what the coronavirus is even more uh, evident because, you know, this virus, it shut down the industry, Mm -hmm. you know, for basically a year or so where clinical trials were shut down and things like that. And then, you know, all efforts went into like, uh, you know, trying to defeat this, you know, defeat this virus. So that's, that specific point is what got me to where I was like, I definitely have to have to go back because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about legacy and, you know, honoring our ancestors, the things that they've been through to just allow us to get to the point where we are now. You know, I don't want a credential to stop me from, you know, that impact that I, I want to do. And, you know, I want to be able to if I'm if I am ever given the opportunity to be on major platforms to also have the credentials to back up what I'm saying and things like that, you know? So it's it's a twofold thing. Absolutely. And on the professional side of things, what does your career and role look like today? Yes. So I'm a, a senior director of clinical operations right now. So I work at a, uh, a small biotech company based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, it's an immuno-oncology company. So we run, you know, clinical trials um, that pertain to uh, people with, uh, you know, tri- triple negative breast cancer, ovarian cancer, thing, things like that, um, squamous uh, cell carcinoma, 
clear cell car- carcinoma. Um, we we have different different other you know cohorts and things like that, but um, you know for the most part it's just different areas from an oncology perspective where we run clinical trials. Um, and you know oncology is like what's what what you would consider in pharma like the gold standard the therapeutic area. Um, you know if if you can make it in they, they, we say in the industry if you can make it in oncology you know it's easy for you to transfer to other therapeutic areas such as like cardiovascular respiratory and things like that. So right now I pretty much oversee you, you know my my program and then I have multiple programs that are coming up. And then just from a leadership perspective, just trying to have the foresight to be able to make decisions that will positively impact, you know, like clinical trials and ensure that there's patient safety and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm at that point to where in my career where it's more leadership. So I'm not really, um, you know, in a granular perspective, like actually running the trials anymore. Uh, it's more of a you know a leadership oversight that that I do. Okay, these are the things that we need to implement so that you know the people within my department they can be successful in you know running these trials and um, you know success, successful you know decisions to impact the clinical sites that we have and you know give them the opportunity to be able to enroll patients and things like that. So, so before we jump over to talk about this health crisis that we've been in for almost (laughs) two years. There is one thing I want to bring up about the trajectory of your career and where you sit now. Uh, Former athlete, we'll see if people are able to tell from the video, but you're a tall guy, right? (laughs) So thinking about that within the context of being a Black man, working in spaces where we don't dominate, you could be perceived as an imposing figure, right? Yes, have you experienced that or has there been an awareness of that? And do you think that it's impacted your career in any way? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, yes, and that leading to my master's degree. So outside of having my friends who've excelled and stuff like that, um, when I was working at Santa Fe, there was a senior uh, vice president there who was a you know a black man. And I would say he was to the build of like Barack Obama, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, you know, petite. Uh, guy. And, you know, I identify him as someone to, you know, speak to, like, I want to get to where you are. What do I have to do? And, you know, I, I remember the conversation that, that, that we had, you know, when I had the opportunity to speak to him um, and, and he was from Camden. Um, and I just remember, you know, he closed the door and we're, we're talking and the first, you know, first few conversations, it was real, just get to know each other and, and you know how like we fill each other out yes. right? because you know we assimilate right but then there's just little cues nonverbal cues that we can do to you know like if you and I first are meeting each other and we're in a room together and you know you're with this company and I'm with this company there's certain things that I could do that where you'll be like yeah he's like you know, like he's this or he's that. He's from, you know, Irvington or whatever. And no one else would would know, you know, but it it just subtle cue. So we had to get through that and we got through that. Right. And then, you know, I said, again, I'm like, well, what do I have to do to get to where you are? And he was very, very, very candid. And he says this, he says, here's the reality. He's like, one, you only have your bachelor's, so it's going to be tough. Mm. You're going to have to you're going to have to get your master's degree at minimum. It's going to be tough for you with just your bachelor's 
And it was just a bachelor's in communications at that point, right? Um, again, when we talk about, like, even though I know people that, you know, you know, within my career that have excelled in, you know, other areas and they have a bachelor's in, you know, like psychology or something like that, I'm not afforded that opportunity. So he goes, <laughs> he goes, look, and you black, right? He's like, you black. But then here's the case. He goes, and you black, black, <laughs> right? He's like, you're a big, black, intimidating man. So it's it's funny that you asked that question the way you did, because that's exactly what he, he said. So he's like, you already have so much going against you mm-hmm. that you have, like, you absolutely have to have these credentials just to kind of get the, the opportunity. And he's like, you know, look at me. He's like, yeah, I'm black, but, you know, I'm not intimidating you you know like he may be five seven if that you know i'm six three you you know 300 pounds he's like you like big and black you know he's saying it like that right (laughs) and i'm I'm laughing because i also like because i know you like this jovial (laughs) just fun guy right like so but having been in these spaces i know exactly what he means yeah yeah. And, and so I'm like, okay, I, I, I get it. And then, but what happened at that point was now, because I was at this point, you know, still like kind of unapologetic, like you're going to get what you get. Right. But after having that conversation, it, it felt like something shifted in me to where now I'm, you know how, like I was aware of that, but, mm-hmm. but, but now that someone actually said it to me, like, I'm really like consciously aware of that now moving forward. Mm-hmm. So now I felt like that next phase of my career, cause this was still kind of early in, in, in my career, like maybe within the first five years or so. But now I find myself kind of making sure that I'm, I don't feel too intimidated and I need to make sure, you know, I don't have a, you know, have a beard or look, you know, look a certain way. Right. Which also, you know, impacts um, an emotional part of you as well, right? right? Because you feel like you can't even be yourself. So, you know, this happens. So I'm getting my, you know, now I'm, I'm getting, so that was why. Um, so yeah, back to your question, you you, you asked, um, did I feel, so yes, I would always feel that. And then also, you know, me being these, in these leadership positions, you know, like with Zoom and things like that now, you know, your camera's off and then once your camera comes on, like you can see the processing. You know, I know you laugh because you 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 know, like oh, my, name, absolutely. my name is Keith Barnett. So you you don't you don't know, you, you, you know, I mean, my middle name is Laquan, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know what my parents are doing, but, you know, <laughs> you know I'm like, where y'all get that from? You know what I'm saying? But, you know, um, but, you know, and my resume is Keith L. Barnett. So you don't know. So uh, or like if, if you see my signature and things like that, you have no idea. And, you know, it's just, again, there's so many nuances that are just subconscious that all of us are raised. So then, you know, okay, this guy, he's in this leadership position. One, uh, you know, I'm usually only the, the, the only person, even for my, my company, I'm the only person now. But I will say this company makes me feel in, inclusive, though, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is refreshing, right? Um, but, you know, when you're having conversations just throughout my career, when you're having conversations 
or you're going, you know, you go on Zoom or you first meet someone and they realize, okay, you're the person I've been speaking to. And, and you see, and again, these are things that innately we learn subconsciously to be able to pick up on other right. as well. Right. So I can see them processing it and they're trying their best not to, you know, show that they're processing, but I could just, I could see it, you know, you see the like, Oh, okay. Hey, you know, how you doing? And things like that. So I still, I still deal with that. And the goal is to get to the point to where, you know, 30, 40 years from now, hopefully sooner, but a lot of things, you know, slow and steady wins the race. If you want it to be sustainable, it has to be a slow and steady improvement for it to be for sustainability, but hopefully we'll get to the point to where, you know, our children are older and people are used to seeing us in these leadership positions. So I think that, like that's the next next phase of of our, you know, our our lives and just humanity and things like that. Absolutely. So shifting gears a bit and talking about the current state of affairs that we're in, uh you and I were having some conversations before this just about the misconceptions about the virus, many things, the the cultural approach to what's happening in the world. I can't believe we're approaching two years. Oh my, you you never would have been able to tell me in March 2020 that we still be having this conversation and dealing with this, um, you know, at this juncture. But being in this, this long, I still think there are misconceptions uh, and a lot of misinformation around the coronavirus, around the way that it has, has mutated, uh, et cetera. So I'd like to hear from you just at a high level, mm-hmm. how do we define this thing as, as a virus and how do we define the mutations? Because people don't, also don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just like the coronavirus, just in, just like many other viruses in itself, like in a most basic like explanation, like I could think of, um, you know, essentially it's just genetic information in a capsule, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, you know, usually people, you know, they want to, you know, uh, know if like viruses are like indeed alive or or not. Uh, and, and and really, you know, it's somewhere in between. Right. Um, because they aren't really like alive because like they lack, you know, several properties of like life. Right. Um, when you think about, you know, things such as like metabolism and things like that. Right. But then, you know, you 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 look at it and you consider them, you know, like you can't consider them like non-living either because, you know, they do share some sort of like, like lifelike properties, Mm -hmm. um, you know, such as like replication and evolution. And, you know, like evolution has led to, you know, a huge diversity of, you know, viruses around us. And, you know, but the thing is that the majority of viruses are, are harmless. And, you know, even, you, you know, even when they mutate, Right. So then when you look at the mutations it, and, you know, it's crazy because, you know, you just hear, oh, it's this mutation and this mutation. It's like, I know how it is. People like this is some BS. Right. But, you know, in, in, in actuality, you know, like a virus can mutate thousands upon thousands of times. Right. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're, you know, they, they are, you know, like harmless. But, you know, when you think about like mutations, what, what I would want to you know first say is like without you know, ge- genetic mutations, like there would be no, no human, no humans or living beings, you know, such as like ma- mammals and, you, you know, things like that, right? Insects, plants. So, um, you know, like 
these mutations, they really are like what you can say are like tiny errors, Mm -hmm. which can happen, you know, at random, you know, each time, you know, a cell or a virus, you know, like tries to copy itself, you know, basically like um, provide the raw materials for the evolution to take place. And, you know, it could it could be confusing, but like I like to say this stuff because this is like real practical. Mm -hmm. Right. This is. It's never, you know, it's never going to go away. And this has always been, you know, been happening. And, you know, like these mutations are like what help to create, you know, like variations in a population, which allows for like natural selection and, you know, like to amplify like traits in, mm-hmm. in, in us, you know, and, you know, kind of like to help us survive. And like an example would be like, you know, over time, like uh, a giraffe neck, you know, it, it, it elongated so that it could reach leaves you know uh higher leaves and trees and things like that you know but you know like like you said you know in um the current times we're in you know with the pandemic you know because it's a stress in itself you know the word mutation strikes more of a negative outlook right yes and you know so the thing about you know the variants um is that uh you know they stem from mutations which you know is a good thing on average Mm-hmm. Right. Like on average, it's it's a good things, you know, because viruses, they they constantly try to like copy itself, which leads to, you know, the mutation or the error. Right. Um, and, you know, like in the most basic terms of like mutations, um, it's like having like if you're writing a document. Right. A mutation is like a typo in your in your document. It's an error. Like it's mm-hmm. a mistake. Right. And then. A lot of times, you know, when when you look at the coronavirus, we, um, you know, we 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 have the variants of concern right now, which are like Delta and like the Omicron. Um, but these are only a few among, you know, say thousands of mutations that, you know, probably have happened already. Right. You know, like literally, like it's happening constantly. It's just trying to trying to evolve. And you know, one major thing to you know note is that the majority of mutations are actually harmful to the virus itself. Like mm-hmm. when it's mutating, it's actually killing killing itself way more times than than not. You know, and and it, and that mutation is actually you know, so it's harmful to the virus and it's harmless to us as you know, like 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 humans. So um which limits the spread of like, you know, um the error or or the mutations. You know, so it's like because of it being politicized and things like that, we we always look for, well, something just don't sound right and things like that. But these are things that we've been living with our whole life and just in existence of humanity. Right. right? And you know what I want to get across to to the audience is this is nothing, nothing new. So when you hear, oh, there's this new variant, uh, variant um, that that came up, just understand that you know the variants of concern so far may have been like the alpha, beta, delta, you know, omicron, uh, the, the kappa, and things like that. But the main ones are the delta um, and, and the omicron. But there's thousands that have happened, right? That aren't impacting us at all. But, you know, you know, the, the reasons for the vaccines and things like that is to stop the ones that actually are able to kind of survive and then actually begin to impact, impact, you know, like hu- human society. And, you know, you, you brought up the vaccines. That's a great segue mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, there's been a lot of discussion. Of course, it has been politicized and you have these anti-vaxxers that don't look anything like us. Yeah. Um, but there has been discussion around the trepidation 
that our people have uh, around this vaccine that they feel like is developed very quickly. They have all these misconceptions about what yeah. it is. And I, and I understand and I empathize with the trepidation because as a culture, what we've experienced in healthcare and what we know have, have ha- has happened historically, Te- Tuskegee experiment, Henrietta Lacks, all these things have contributed to how we've been socialized with respect to trust yeah. of, or mistrust yeah. of the, the, the medical field. But for you, what is the greatest misconception around this vaccine? Yeah. So, um, you know, really like the first thing is like the mechanism of action, you know, for, uh, you know, the vaccines that are out, such as like Moderna and Pfizer, you know, although they're newly available, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I say this again, they're newly available, but, you know, like, um, you know, these are newly available to, to the public, but, you know, these have been worked on, you know, by researchers already for decades, like this mechanism of action. So it's not anything that out of nowhere, oh, we have coronavirus, we're just thinking about mRNA and we have it. No, they've been working on these type of, you know, like type of vaccines and a mechanism of action for decades, honestly, right? Um, and, you know, another misconception is, oh, well, you know, did they do studies and stuff like that? Well, you know, the first thing I, I would like to say, just when, when you look at pharma, so it does typically take a while in order for, you know, something to get approved, right? But when you have something of uh, of a global pandemic that we are now, you know, in, it shut down the pharmaceutical industry, right? Mm-hmm. So like clinical trials globally were, were shut down, you know, they're telling us you, like, you can't have your patients come in and things like that, right? From a global perspective, everyone had a common enemy. So you have all of these resources, all these large farmers, all these mid-sized farmers, all these, you know, small pharmaceutical companies, these small biotechs all over the globe. Everyone who's usually competing with one another are now working together, information sharing and things like that, right? So things that would take three, four, five years can would only need to take six, seven, eight months because everyone's working together. As soon as, you know, a Merck finds out something, there's data coming out mm-hmm. so that now, you know, Pfizer or, you know, Novartis can take that and, oh, okay, we're looking at this. They just said this. So all of the information sharing helped to speed up what was going on, right? But then on the other spectrum, you have what's considered like emergency use. So if you have a situation where, you know, there's, a, a vaccine that, you know, can actually help stop the spread, then they'll give you emergency use, which means that, okay, we pre- preliminarily looked at the data. It, it looks safe and things. And on top of it, there were clinical trials, mm-hmm. right? Where there was over, you know, 50,000 people that actually was on a trial and that was dosed and stuff before it was uh, allowed to be used for emergency use. That's not talked about a lot either, right? But when you have emergency use, they're like, okay, we preliminarily looked at the data. It, it, it's safe, the clinical trials that you have. We're not going to go through the, the legislation part that takes a whole nother year, right? Because remember, you have all other therapeutic areas that they may already be in a queue. So that's why things, but now everything's shut down. This is the priority. So as soon as it comes to, you know, health authorities, this is the first thing they're looking at. 
all resources are going to this, right? So now they look at this data, they're able to review it way more quickly than normal. And then they're like, okay, it's safe. We can, uh, emergency use, yes, we can can roll it out, right? Then on top of it, that's why the vaccine was rolled out. But then the following years when they actually got approval, because then they went through the formal process to get, you know, FDA approval and EU approval and things like that. Right. So that's another misconception. Like everything, everything stopped and it was one common enemy and the the industry all started working together. So just Mm -hmm. imagine all these great minds, all these resources of money and everyone's collaborating in order to, you know, get to the point to where you, you have something. So things are, are going to speed up. But again, this type of research has been going on for decades before this actually happened, you know? And then the other thing about the vaccine, right? So like the, the biggest difference between like, you know, this vaccine and other vaccines, um, you know, is that many vaccines that are like provided to like the public put a weakened or inactive, um, you know, germ mm-hmm. in, into our bodies, right? But this M- mRNA vaccine, you know, it doesn't do that, right? So the game changer here is that, you know, the mRNA vaccine uses, um, you know, like, it, and it's created like in, in a lab. And what it does is, you know, it 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 goes into our body, our, you know, like our, our cells, like it teaches our cells how to make the protein. There's a protein on the virus. On a virus, pretty much all viruses have a protein. So the protein is like the key the key to get in and kind of destroy it, right? So what happens is the issue with coronavirus and why it impacts people that, you know, have respiratory issues, you know, mild, moderate, severe asthma, things like that, and just even regular individuals who are healthy, your body typically needs 24 to 48 hours to figure out what's wrong in, in your body, right? Mm-hmm. But the 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 but COVID is so fast acting that it goes directly to your respiratory system, mm. and it's just mutating, bang bang bang. It's 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 just advancing, and and it's not mutating, sorry, but it's advancing, and it's just tearing your lungs, tearing your respiratory system apart. Right, all it really needs, like if it if it hits, like when it gets into you, and if it hits the way it needs to like 24, 48 hours or so to really do damage, right? Mm -hmm. Within that 24 to 48 hours, yes, your body is still trying to figure it out and things like that. And it may get to the point to where it does figure it out. And now, you know, know, the signal to the brain, you know, your your cells go and it's fighting it, they losing, but they, you know, they they, they, they trying. Like Like how I try to explain it is, you know, if you beefing, Right. So, you know, you call your crew and your crew come and it's these this other crew that's in your lungs and they like they getting at your lungs. And now you got your crew that usually able to beat everybody up. And so now they come and they're like, all right, true. And they trying to get at them. And it's like taking a little longer. And, you know, they going back to the brain like, hey, yo, like (laughs) these dudes serious. Right. But then once they finally figure it out. Cold, the, the the virus, you know, the, the the variant, whatever variant you have, is like, ah, right, you can air me out now. You can beat me up. I did my damage, <laughs> you know. So now some people may get over it. And they may no longer have COVID, 
but now their lungs, they're gone. So mm-hmm. that's when you see people eventually have to get on ventilators or even if they do survive, they, they have long lasting issues that could be cardiovascular and things like that. Because now remember, if you can't breathe as much, your heart is, is trying to pump, you know, even more because it wants to get more oxygen around that, you know, so there's other issues that can happen. But what happens with this is that you're being you're being dosed with something that's not non-living. Mm-hmm. All it is is the key of, you know, like the passcode of the protein in a coronavirus. A protein is not live and it can't affect you. It's impossible. Right. So that's in your. So that's what's in the vaccine. So the vaccine, it goes into your muscle and it helps you to, it helps your body to create the code so that if the true virus really comes, you able, like your, your, your people is able to come and <laughs> beat up the virus ASAP, right? But it's, so that's why when you have, you know, like you have side effects where you may be lethargic mm-hmm. or you get the chills and stuff, that's because your body thinks that you actually have a, a real virus in your, because you have a protein that's supposed, that's typically associated with a virus, your brain in your body is like, yo, we got a virus in here. So they're going through all the normal steps of trying to fight off whatever. And in actuality, you know, it's not the case, but now they have it. They, they think they defeated it and they're like, oh, we got the code. We got the, whatever the, the code is. So then, you know, three months down the line, you go, you know, you go to a party or something or wherever you're somewhere and you catch COVID and you get it. Your your body already has it. Boom. It goes directly to it. Y'all are. Didn't didn't I just see you three three months ago? (laughs) I just saw you three months ago. You know, now I really got to get you up out of here. And what happens is and boom, you out of here. So that's why you see you know, the the percentages of those that get hospitalized are unvaccinated. Now, you're going to have some breakthrough cases. That's just how life is. Mm -hmm. When you look at the data, you're talking about like 98% of the people who are um, hospitalized, right? Hospitalized. And when you look at hospitalization, you know, what I try to tell people, the, the real thing is, it's not so much the deaths, but it's the hospitalization mm-hmm. that can overwhelm, right? Because if you have a hospital overwhelm, that's a trickle down effect, right? Because you have these people, it's an influx of people that normally shouldn't be here. Because remember, people are still having strokes. People are still having heart attacks. People are still having regular in- injuries. People are still having regular uh, issues where they need to go to the emergency room and be in right. bed. So now, you know, God forbid one of my friends or something have a heart attack or a stroke and I go to the hospital, there's no 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 beds because there's a lot of unvaccinated people that are in there because they have the symptoms, the severe symptoms that put them in in the hospital whereas if you're if you're vaccinated, there's it's way less likely for you to have severe symptoms. You know, it's just like the data is there, the percentages are there. And again, I look, I'm I'm you know, I'm an African American too. So I understand we have every right to question what's going on and and to you know feel skeptical. But one thing I would say is, you know, when you're looking at you know t- Tuskegee experiment, Henrietta Lacks and things like that. 
we're at a situation now where we have so many more individuals that are like-minded, that are Mm African-American, that are in those, you know, are in those rooms and are pushing things that should help us feel a bit more comfortable. And again, I'm a proponent. If if you do feel like you don't want to get vaccinated, I, I, I do understand that's everyone's right. But what I what I personally would say is at least still take the necessary pr- precautions like mask mask up. You know, when you go out in the open, at least wear a mask and things just to not only protect yourself, but someone else who may, you know, be un- unvaccinated because you if you're not unvaccinated, you may be asymptomatic. But the next person may may not be right. Right. And what America, it, you know, everything is just it's just an individual society. That's what capitalism does. Right. And it's about what are my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. But we have to understand that there's also collective rights, right? And your rights shouldn't impede on my rights as well. And, you know, that's also something that, you know, we definitely need to to understand. And that's something that's, it's, it's going to be tough for people in public health. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm in it. It's just a calling because I applied for it. Um, and then I actually, uh, so I applied in January of 2020 and I got accepted in, in April. And that's when, you know, like COVID really started picking up, picking up in, you know, March or, or, or April. But, you, you know, it's, it's really just also understanding that we do have every right, but also, you know, try to do, you know, some research and not do the the picking research, just the research to, well, I just feel like the vaccine is wrong. So I'm just going to research things that help me to rationalize why, why it's wrong. You know, so me, what, what I'm doing, I'm, I have to learn this. I'm, I'm listening to, you know, anti-vaxxers. I'm listening to the things that they're saying. And the scary thing about it is that they'll have 5% truth Mm-hmm. And the other 95% is so wrong. But like the way they lay it out, if if I didn't know any better, I would believe them too. And that and that's the scary thing in in our demographic, where like we're the most impacted. Right. We we're we're the ones that can't afford to take that chance, you know, to uh, you know, be out of work for two weeks or you know, like we don't have like just from an overall per- perspective and spectrum, like the majority of us, we're still trying to make it too, right? And mm-hmm. one instance can set us back. All the all these years of hard work can set us set us back. We're not afforded that opportunity. So when you hear you know people in our community, you know, well, I'm not getting vac- vaccinated, and it's a scam and things like that. Well, I would say like find someone that's like minded like you that you could speak to and then after that if you still just like you know what i don't want to get vaccinated okay true it but don't spread things that are you know false and things like that you know there's a lot of you know false information that's going out from people that have a a, a platform even in the african-american community which it scares me so much because mm-hmm. it's like i'm looking and i'm hearing them say this stuff and i'm like wow you you know you guys y'all have this organization but Y'all, y'all didn't have one medical doctor speak. You know, y'all didn't have one person with public health um, experience speak or anything, anything like that. And, 
you know, and the tough part is it's politicized. Right. You know, you have to deal with legislation and stuff like that. It's, it's tough. So, you know, but that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing it, because, you know, I want to be able to because, you know, more likely there's going to be another another pandemic. Who knows when? But, you know, that's the other part, like misinformation as well, like coming from like, you know, the CDC and things like that. Um the thing is, there's a lot of pressure, political pressure to, you know, we, we, we need you to do this. And you need to have individuals that are there that aren't just scientific, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't just, you know, business minded. You need, and that's why it's important to have people, you know, with, you know, masters in public health and bachelors in public health and doctors in public health, because it teaches you everything else as well that's outside of the science that impacts you trying to get a message across properly. Absolutely. And before we get off this topic of public health, you know, there's news that that came out just just this week about the new governor, Governor Hochul in New York, basically announcing measures meant to combat racism and discrimination, but officially classifying racism as a public health crisis. And there have been many studies about the, this. This news is not new. This headline is not new. Um, But I think there's a perception, particularly within medicine, that the disparities in healthcare only, when we're talking about along racial lines, only apply to minorities who are existing at a lower socioeconomic status, right? It's a class thing along with with racism. And I mean, I know that I've had this experience anecdotally of being a person who's worked for more than one large corporation, the largest corporation in the world, access to all kinds of resources and benefits, and then going to receive treatment and realizing, oh, someone is not taking my pain seriously. Sometimes someone's not taking my symptoms seriously. They're not educating me on what's going on here and asking myself, is this a race thing? Like, is this what's happening? But I think it's been, it's, I've heard those stories more than once from friends, articles of people especially as women recounting their experiences of race playing into the treatment that they've received, be it be, be it via childbirth or otherwise. From your perspective, can you add a bit of context to how this racial disparity does cross socioeconomic lines as well? Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely does. And I will say in public health now, you know, it's been a lot of traction uh, in, you know, different states and things like that, where they are considering, you know, uh, racism, a public health issue. And it absolutely is, right? Because when you break it down, racism can keep you in an area that may have more smog, mm-hmm. right? Which can lead to more children having asthma and things like that, right? That's, you know, a lot of that is a racial inequality that has happened that now forces you to stay in an area where, you know, you more likely to have, um, you you know, asthma or there may be lead, there's higher chance of lead in the water. Right. So that's it. And, you know, Flint showed you, and even in North, North had an issue with, you know, a, a water crisis as well. It showed, you know, these instances show you how, you, you know, just like certain inequalities and things like that can can happen. Why is it that this town has it, but then you have the surrounding towns that they, they don't have these issues and, you know, why, right? So we have to really dig, we have to begin to dig deep within just that that topic to, to understand why and to be able to properly explain 
how it's in, it's impacting. Because it's one thing to say it, right? Mm-hmm. But we know because we we lived it. But how how do you explain it to someone who may not have experienced it, right? So then that leads into how if you you can be misdiagnosed, right? Where you know there's there's studies and there's the data out there that you know it it it, it just shows that you know doctors feel like black women have a more high tolerance of pain or something like that. So then you have just subconscious biases, whereas you may, some people may not even know that they're, they're, they're doing it. Right. That's also a part that we need to tackle. Right. Because you have the set where it's just outwardly and they know that they're doing it. And I think that's what we focus on the, the most. Right. And we need to start focusing on what's happening subconsciously, right? Um, I went, I remember last year going to my physical and, you know, I'm just like, you know, with Chad, Chadwick Boseman, it's like, what's up with what, what my colonoscopy? Can I, well, you know, you're, you didn't reach, reach the age yet. You're not 45 yet for your insurance to pay for it. I'm like, oh, I'm black. Like, I'm right. black and like this happened. He's like, I feel, you know, I, I, I feel you. And my my primary care, um, you know, physician right now, he, he is an African-American, but I do like him because he's younger and, you know, he's honest. He's been honest with me with certain things that I feel, right? But, you know, just having this conversation, he's like, yeah, you know, I, like I feel, like I understand what you're saying, but they're not going to approve it. So if I do put it in, you, it's going to come back and you're going to have to, you know, have to pay for it. But like, I had to bring it up. And then he was like, well, you know, what we could do is um, you could, um, we could take stool samples. They have it to where you could take the stool samples and they'll be able to um, analyze it to see if you have, you know, something in there that would trigger, you know, potential colon cancer and things Mm -hmm. like that. So like, you know, I do that every year, but like, if I didn't have that conversation, it may not have, it, it may not have happened. Or even if I just, because I kept pressing him, like, I'm, like, I'm scared. Like, I had to say, like, look, I'm scared. I ain't trying to be out here, you know, that one day and just, I have, you know, colon cancer. And it impacts us. And it's, a, you know, it's impacted a friend that, 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 that I, that I have, you know, he, you know, he's currently going through and he's being very strong about it, you know? So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I can see him tomorrow and things like that. Um, he's doing well, but, you know, it's just, it's a reality for us. But I shouldn't have to press, right? Once I just said, hey, look, what's up with, you know, my colonoscopy? Well, they're not going to pay for it yet. You, you know, the next thing should have just been, oh, well, you can take, let's, let's do the, the service of the stool sample, you, right. you know, things like that, right? But maybe if I had a doctor that was like me, right? Like if I had a me that was a doctor, and, you know, a black person came in it and I'm just like, well, th- look, they not going, they not going to pay for it. You could pay out of pocket, but I got this stool sample. And then also probably I'll be proactive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, look, you African-American, I know you only this age, but maybe we should just start doing stool samples now. So these are like, so that's why, you know, it's important. And that's a sort of racism where he's not being, ra- like, he's not being racist, but it's just subconsciously like, I don't see it as a big issue because you're not of age for, you you know, for it. And, um, you know, so you just need, and that's why it's important that we need more, you know, you know, black doctors and, and attorneys and people in public health and all of these other, you know, different um, 
like careers in, in, in industries because we need like-minded in, individuals that can empathize. You need some sort of empathy as well to understand. Like I know another black doctor when I said, Hey man, like I'm just kind of concerned. Like he would have understood right then exactly every type of concern that I had. Like, look, he's a black man. He don't want to leave his family. You, you know, like this is what's going on. Like a lot of black men are, you know, so it's a part in public health is really trying um, you know, there is a lot of traction, you know, with this. But again, you, you're you having the pushback. And even in my, you know, even in, you know, my, my, my classes, we have these conversations and, you know, people will say how like there's, you know, certain pushback and certain, you know, certain arenas or on this, you know, what like a perfect example is something like critical race theory and things like mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, but, you know, when you look at public health as, um, you know, racism as a public health issue, you know, you are going to have some people that would say, well, is it really? So, you know, unfortunately, you can't just tell them this is the reality. You have to back it up with, you know, with examples, with data and things like that, because some people, they just can't understand where you're coming from. So in order to help them to understand, you have to lay it out. Like this is, this is, you know, what it is, but it it really is an important piece and it, it needs to continue to, to have, to, to keep the momentum of traction because, you know, just globally, we need to understand that, you know, racism impacts us. Absolutely. And before we let you get out of here, thinking about your journey to this point, the level of expertise um, that you've garnered over time and the the aspirations that you have uh, moving forward. It's a storied journey for sure. (laughs) But describe a specific time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. I have a a few, but I I do have like, well, I think it's funny, but um, when I look at it now, so my current position, I was actually, you know, interviewing for it. And this was last uh, no, not yeah, this past summer and our, uh, heating and cooling unit went down. So this is a Monday. I remember it's in June and it's like, it's 90 some degrees outside. And, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in the same room that I'm in now, and this is the hottest room in, in, in the house, right? It's on a second level and the sun comes directly in and I'm like, I have to be here because the kids are home. I need it to be quiet. You know, this is a great opportunity. And I'm like, man, it's going to be it's going to be tough. And I'm like, well, maybe I don't need a suit and tie and things like that. And then, you know, because we're not afforded that, I'm like, I need to be in a suit and tie. And I had to interview with seven people that day. Right. So I'm interviewing with seven people. It started at 11 and then it ended at five. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I say like. I'm in here, like, luckily I had my blazer and stuff, but when I say I'm like, I'm drenched, I have my towel, you know, I'm still doing this. I'm interviewing and I'm like, so uncomfortable. Like I'm like struggling and, um, you know, but I'm pushing, I'm pushing through because I'm like, if I could push through this, I get this, this could set me up for the next part of my, I just, I got to do it. And you know how we always pulling from, you know, like our ancestors. I'm like, look, if, if they did this, this, the least I could like this, the least I could do, you know, being here 98 degrees, I'm sweating in a blazer and stuff like that. And I just remember the last lady 
um, that I was interviewing, you know, we did our quick introductions and then she just goes, are you okay? <laughs> right? Like literally she, like, I see the concern. She's like, are you like, are you okay? And I was like, you know, just being transparent, my, my heating cooling unit went down. It's 90 some degrees. So, I, you know, I've been in here all day. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just really hot. I'm, I'm okay, but you know, I'm just really hot. She's like, like, you don't, like, you don't look okay. And she's like, you could take, like, take your tie off, take your jacket off. And I was like, no, thank you. But I, I think I'll just keep this on because I'm like, I can't give, I'm not giving them any, you know, and, and that goes, it, it, again, it goes to show we always feel like we have to just, even if we're, we're going through pain and strife, it's just, we gotta, I'm okay. I'm gonna push through. I'm gonna push yes. through. I'm gonna push through. Right. And you know, that's some of that trauma that passes down, right. From slavery. It, it passes because trauma passes down. And she goes, you don't have to, like, you don't have to. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. And I just remember, you, you know, doing that. And then, you know, I got the job and then, you know, she would always like, even to this day, she talks about it. She was just like, you, you know, when we were doing our, uh, our debrief about you, like the last three people, they noticed it. Like, cause that's when it would start. And she told them, she was like, his heating cooling unit was gone. You know, it's 90 something degrees in central Jersey. And, and they were like, wow, like he didn't even have to, he could have just told us and stuff like that. So they're like, if somebody is going, you know, first of all, they were like, he did a great job mm-hmm. and, you know, he outperformed all the other people interviewed, but someone to, to do that. And, you know, those are the type of people that we, we want. And then she ended up telling me, she's like, yeah. And then, you know, once I joined, she's like, yeah. And, and this other person that we interviewed, you know, he came in like just, his heat the same day, his heat and cool, cooling went down. He came in with a t-shirt, like, look, here's the deal. My but you know, she's like, here he is, and then here you go, you suits to the nine, you you're struggling and stuff like that. And and you know, she was like, Look, that's you know, that's the person that you know we we definitely want. So I will say that was like a day where you know <sighs> You just got to pull like, yo, I got to I, I got to do this for my family. I got to do this for myself. I got to I got to make my ancestors proud. And like because I'm big on that. Like I'm I'm big on, you know, honoring, like honoring them, you know, and I don't like disrespect to them and stuff like that. Um, And I always have that in the back of my mind. That's part of my why as mm-hmm. well, you know, outside of my wife and my children and stuff like that and family and friends. But my, my why is also to to honor what they went through and in, in their le- legacy and, and, and just make them proud and be part of, you know, that story that takes, you know, that baton from them, you know, look, I got it now and we're going to take it here. The next generation, we're going to make it better for y'all. And so, you, you know, and, and that's what I did. Like, you know, I'm talking to myself cause I'm trying to talk myself out. Like, yo, take it, just let them know. And I'm just like, nah. So that was like that, crazy day where I felt like I had to be extraordinary, you mm-hmm. know, under those, you know, circumstances um, on an or, or ordinary day. Yeah. We, we approach those situations where it's like, I will not be denied. You will, yes. not, <laughs> I will not have worked this hard for you to ding me for this one. Yes. Yes. We feel, yeah. We feel that way, you know, and I was just like, look, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it through, you know, I'm smiling and, you know, but I'm like, I'm, Dying when I say I'm, I'm like drenched. Like when I took it off, like and I weigh, I, I, I lost three pounds. Oh my gosh! Yes, 
just from water, water sweat rate, you know, luckily I had a, you know, a blazer on a dark blazer on where they couldn't tell, but it was crazy. Yep. Yeah. It can't ever just be easy. It's always got to be something. Can it just be smooth one time? Like, wow, it's got to be extraordinary. I'm tired. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Extra tired. So listen, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I knew this was going to be a long one coming into it for sure. Um, but we are big around network and community here within the December 26th family. So if people want to reach you, can they find you online? Um, yes, they, they can find me on my, my LinkedIn. Um, it's, it's Keith Barnett. Um, I have an Instagram, but I have it, you know, private, but you know, I have a, uh, an email I could, you know, send to you guys. Um, it's, well, it's Keith L Barnett Jr. at gmail.com. So they can reach me there as, as well. But the easiest way would be, you know, via LinkedIn. Um, and you know, I'm always open to talk about, you know, anything. I, I love having discussions on public health and things like that. You know, I'm in the barbershop sometimes, you know, having conversations with people and things like that. And that gives me real world practice as well. You know, so, um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed this interview as well. I've been excited. I'm happy to, you know, be a part of, you know, December 26th team now. And, you know, hopefully people in, in enjoy, you, you know, this, this, this interview and, and take something from it. But if they have any questions, definitely, you know, reach out to me on on those platforms. For sure. And thank you. Welcome to the December 26th family. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for boiling down what is really some complex information into a, 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 a description that can be understood yeah. by those who may not work in this space. And we end every show the same to our listeners. If you've enjoyed this episode, you know the drill. Like, share, subscribe, comment, send it to someone else particularly if you have loved ones who are still operating in misconceptions about this virus and about what we can do to combat it. Send this episode to them. Let them know, listen, we are all we got at the end of the day. And so if we can take the opportunity to educate each other to make sure that we remain healthy and well and live long enough to manifest the vision that we have for our lives, what else can we ask for? Absolutely. Uh, So after you do all that, remember, if nothing else, to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 